A couple of uh, months before I was ordained, I remember I was, uh, I was in the store, just picking up a few things, uh, come around the corner, and like most, place, most of the time when I go to the store in South Louisiana, I ran into somebody that I recognized. This person happened to be one of my elementary school teachers, and it was the first time that I had saw her since I was getting kind of right up to ordination date. And I remember we had a short conversation, and at one point, like, you know, oh, how things are gone, and you're so close, and da, 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 all these things just catching up. And at one point, towards the end of the conversation, she looked at me, and she lied through her teeth. Because she said, I always knew you would be a priest. <laughs> and I walked away thinking, that woman is full of it, and she needs to go to confession. <laughs> like, no question, this woman is lying. Because I remember when I was in school, and I can actually remember being in her class in particular, I was a terror. Now, my thing was when I was in school, um, I was loud, and I'm happy that changed, right? But I was very loud. I, I, if anything went on, I was the one that got caught because I was the one that was disrupting the class. Like, it was to the point that, um, on, so for us, when we were in school, um, when you did something bad, you got your name on the board. And then if you did something bad again, you got a check. And if you did something bad again, you got a second check. And that second check meant that you had to write a detention paper. Now, it got to the point that in my free time, from my memory, I was just writing them, getting a good like bank of them built up. Because I knew it was inevitable that within a week, I'd be getting this paper again. Started off, who am I? I'm a very special person. Anyway. <laughs> 33 years old, and I can still remember that. Anyway, but I remember going through all of this, and we would have like these conduct, like weekly reports that would go home to, to our family, and, and it would make sure that if you were getting your name on the board at a regular clip, that like your mom and dad saw it, and they knew what was going on. So I remember we would have a calendar, and on days that we didn't have our name on the board, we would get a sticker. But on days that you got your name on the board, it said, like, name, or if you had a name and a check, it had name, check, right? Like, it was just like a little report card of every week. Well, I went home with my little report card, and I knew that what it said was not what I had been telling my mom throughout the course of the week. So my plan was, is it was on Friday afternoon, I was going to wait the whole weekend and get mom to sign it on Monday morning as I'm walking into school, Right? Because then I get my whole weekend, no punish work, nothing. Okay, great. I get to school. I sit down at my desk. We have to hand this report card in. And I looked, and I realized I forgot to get them to sign it. This isn't good. I don't know what we're going to do. Okay. Started to panic a little bit. And then I got the bright idea that I was going to commit a felony and forge my dad's, <laughs> my dad's signature. So, in perfect print, I wrote J-O-D-Y Mathern, Jody Mathern. And when I went to hand it in, I walked away thinking, I got this, I'm good, this is going to be great. Again, always knew I was going to be a priest, a liar. So I walked back to my desk, and by the time my butt hit the seat of my desk, I hear, John David, come see. Uh-oh. I walk over, sure enough, I'm in trouble. Sure enough, they decide they're going to call my mom. So now, I'm not only in trouble for what the report card says, but I'm also in trouble because I tried to forge their signature. 
Now, you could, you could say that I was a little convict in the making, right? You could say that I did wrong by getting my name on the board that much. You could say that I did wrong by trying to forge a signature, even though I didn't know that was a felony yet, right? You, you could say all of those things, but the one thing you cannot criticize me about was the forethought and the ingenuity that I used. <laughs> now, why do I bring that up and why do I say it that way? Because I'm convinced that in our gospel today, this is exactly what Jesus is trying to tease out. He's not condoning the actual crime that this steward is, is committing. He's not talking about injustice with finances as being okay. But what he is saying is that he at least is creative. And I think, if, we, if we're honest with ourselves, and as we break open this gospel tonight, that it could actually mean something for the way we approach our life as a Christian. So let's look at what's going on here. There's a rich man, and he essentially has a steward that is in charge of his finances. He's his financial advisor. He's the one that makes sure all his accounts are good. He's the one that makes sure that people that owe him stuff are paying in a, in a proper time, right? Like, he's the one that's in charge of the books. And the steward sees that he's not very good at his job, so he says, look, give me my accounts, go collect all the information, go give me all of the stuff that you have, give me my accounts, you're out. You're fired. So this steward has a panic moment. Kind of like a second grader sitting in his desk and not having a signature, right? And he says, what am I going to do? Because I'm too proud to beg. I'm not going to be poor. I'm not going to be destitute. And I'm too weak to dig. I'm not going to do physical labor. But I need to kind of hedge my bets. I need to make sure that I'm taken care of. What do I do? So he comes up with the bright idea that he's going to ingratiate himself into the good graces of some of his, his master, the rich man's people, like the ones that owe him stuff, the debtors. So he says, great, I'm going to bring in two of them. How much oil do you owe? A hundred measures. Great. Here, I'm going to give you a little discount. Just remember, I did this for you, so when I lose my job, help me out. In the same way, 100 cores of wheat. Look, write one for 80. So when I lose my job, you can take care of me, okay? Cool? Great. Got it. Now, in most, most of the parables that we hear, there's usually something that's a twist. That do, something that doesn't quite make sense. And it's usually the crux of what we're actually learning from the parable. After this dishonest steward does this, after this crooked financial advisor does this, what do we hear? And the master commended that dishonest steward for acting prudently. That would be like my mom and dad, after finding out that I forged their signature, when I got home, wouldn't have punished me and beat my butt till I couldn't sit down, right? That they would have looked at me and said, good job, great idea, we're happy for you, go enjoy, go play. We know that doesn't make sense, that the master would commend him for stealing from him. But what's the lesson? For the children of this world are more prudent in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. I, I think all of us at some point 
if, we, if we're honest with ourselves, found, find ourselves at some point in our life in the past having manipulated a situation so that we might rise to the top. That we might be seen as better. That we, I think all of us at some point in our life have done things that may not have been the best just to make sure that we are the ones who stand out, that we are the ones who get the scholarship, that we are the ones who are seen, that we are the ones who get commended, that we are the ones who earn some kind of recognition. And oftentimes we do these things, we make these sacrifices for earthly titles, earthly power, earthly recognition, earthly wealth that is all passing. Be willing to beg, borrow, steal, or deal for earthly things that are passing and in a hundred years will be utterly useless. I think oftentimes we can find ourselves being willing to go through extreme measures to accomplish things for this world. And yet, when it comes to our faith, a lot of times it's an afterthought. When it comes to the way in which we, the way in which we live, according to gospel values, it could be something that we just react to. Or we think about when we need something. We think about when a diagnosis comes down. Or we think about whenever a marriage is on the rocks. Or I need an A on a test. You see, our faith is not meant to be an afterthought. And if we're willing to go through amazing measures for material wealth or recognition, for earthly wealth and recognition, then should we not be willing to sacrifice and to strive after the high bar that is our faith. You see, St. Augustine, in talking about this scripture, this parable, the, the church, early church fathers wrestled with this parable so much because it's confusing. It's known as the most confusing of all the parables, right? It, they wrestled with it because they wanted to tease out what was it that Jesus was getting at. And St. Augustine once said, Why did the Lord set this parable before us? It is not because the servant cheated, but because he exercised foresight for the future. When even a cheat is praised for ingenuity, Christians who make no such provision blush. What's the goal that you're moving towards? It's really hard if we're going to look for the future, if we're going to look to where we're going to hit a moving target. What is the goal that we're looking for? If it's for promotion, if it's for a raise, if it's for recognition or power, then we're shooting for a low bar. But if we're aiming for heaven, what extent are you willing to go to grasp it, to earn it, to embrace it? I, I think of, I, I think of in, in the sports world of, of like boxers. That coming up to a big fight or, or 
fighters, right? Coming up to a big fight, they try and make weight. And they will pound gallons and gallons and gallons of water days before weigh-in just so that they can stand on the scale and be just under. So they can have just enough muscle and be just under the requirement. But they will put their bodies through absolute pain and torment so that they can accomplish this little goal. So they can qualify for the fight and win the purse, win the belt. In the same way, what are we willing to suffer? What extent are we willing to go to embrace that which the Lord is blessing us with? That in which the Lord has destined us for. And that is eternal happiness in heaven. Like, if we're willing to go to some of the extent for the worldly praise and the worldly glory, just imagine infinitely greater than what we should be willing to suffer. All we have to do when we think about this, and, and, and maybe, Father, like that, that, that seems like a high price. Like, you mean to tell me that I may have to turn away from that sin that I like? You mean, you mean to tell me that I might have to be to that ant that just gets on my nerves? I might have to ask for reconciliation from that sister or that brother? Or That, that, that seems like a high price. The sad, the sad reality is, in our church, oftentimes we lose sight of the fact that Jesus Christ Himself went through the cross for the glory of heaven. Not because He had to, because He wanted to show us the way. There is no Easter without Good Friday. May today, as we come to this Mass, as we come to, to, to recognize where it is that we're going, we allow the Lord to challenge us to reach the high bar that is Christianity. That we allow the Lord to, to inspire us, to invite us into a deeper relationship with Him, even if it means it might cost us something. The people of this world are so much more cunning and shrewd when it comes to earthly things than we Christians are when it comes to an infinitely greater prize. May today, as we come to this Mass, we be inspired to be as shrewd as serpents, as innocent as doves, but ultimately to reach out and to grasp that which the Lord is offering.